You're listening to the RUV English podcast. To hear more and for all the news from Iceland in English, just head to ruv.is slash English. This is Ruv English. Hello, I'm Darren Adam. Thanks very much for your company once again. I'm in the heart of Reykjavik today, the heart of the capital, the settlement exhibition, which, as the name suggests, details the settlement of the city. And there's a specific exhibition taking place uh, about the Viking era that I want to explore as well. I'm with Jon Paul Bjornsson in a rather echoey room here at the settlement centre. What's the room we're in here? Uh, well, this is an all-purpose uh, area. It's usually reserved when we have them for, for school groups. We also have lectures here, uh, but then on special occasions like museum night or culture night, we, we sometimes open it up and have... Uh, we might have some small like concerts or recitals and things like that. Yeah. Now you mentioned Culture Night there. That was in the middle of August, of course, and it celebrates the birthday of the city. I've noticed here that you've got eight, seven, one, plus or minus two, yeah. because there is an absolute certainty about when the city was founded. Well, there's an absolute certainty about when the first people arrived, and this comes from archaeological dating. The oldest artifacts that have been found uh, underground here in, in downtown Reykjavik are from that specific year, from around 871, plus or minus two, give or take yeah, yeah. Uh, two years. Was Reykjavik then the first place in Iceland to be settled? I've been to the Folk Museum in Akranes, which mm -hmm. has a, a claim to be there or thereabouts, for example. Yeah, as far as settlement is concerned, yes, I think this is the oldest one. However, we are, uh, we are not so arrogant that we are going to uh, stamp our claims mm -hmm. on, on this if some other information comes to light. The Middle Ages can be murky at times, and, and new things are being discovered all of the time. Yeah. But uh, it, uh, the long and the short of it, it w whether we find something that is a little bit older, uh, that might happen, but we're, we will always be talking about the same people. Mm. Uh, these uh, mostly Norse people who came here in the ninth century. Tell me about the way that the location was chosen, the throwing of wooden pillars into the water? The throwing of wooden pillars is uh, it, it, it's a, it's a convenient excuse, really. Uh, <laughs> men of power, and I say men because it, it, it rarely applied to women, men of power, chieftains, would often have decorated seats or chairs. On each side of the chair was a pillar that might be maybe six to seven feet uh, in height. A decorated pillar would be carved with images and painted. Uh, but these chairs were meant to be dismantled. So you can, the chieftain can move his chair around if he wants to. And as the story goes, the first settlers of Iceland would use these pillars for uh, kind of uh, divine intervention. They would throw the pillars overboard and then they would settle where these pillars washed ashore. Of course, given how currents work in, in Iceland, they would probably have to be very close to the shore mm. when throwing them. So it wasn't com completely <laughs> random, right. uh, but it is, uh, it is so ingrained in us, this throwing of the pillars, that the two-pillar motif is not just in the seal of Reykjavik itself, it can be found all over the city. So what is the very first point in the capital that we know that was settled? Where would be the, the origin of Reykjavik? 
You're sitting in it. Right here. Right here. Uh, outside of this exhibition is a street. It's a very small street. Uh, uh, and, and very unassuming. It is called Adalstreiti, which means Main Street. And this is, f as far as we can tell, the first street in Reykjavik. Uh, it probably dates back to the Viking Age, where it was a path leading from a group of houses that stood here down to the shore, uh, because they were obviously fishing a lot of the time. And, and so this is the point of origin of Reykjavik, okay. this, this street, this, this little main street. We also see uh, uh, main street when the city starts to expand, first as a, as a small town. All of the other streets seem to uh, uh, orient them from the, this particular one. So there's a street running from main street to the south. It's called South Street. There's a street running from uh, Main Street to the west. It's called West Street. So everything, this is the point of origin. Now, the city itself is distinct from towns that are very close to it, such as Kupavoir and Gardabaya. But we talk about the capital region now, don't we, as a, as a sort of metropolis, mm -hmm. uh, combining, I think, about three quarters of Iceland's population. Do you think Reykjavik still has an identity distinct from the rest of the capital area? Well, it's more urban. But the thing about Iceland is it, this is a relatively small island, uh, even though uh, uh, you can say that it is about the same size as Ireland. It's much, much, much more sparsely populated because livable areas in the country are uh, so few. Only about 25% of the island is, in fact, livable. The, the rest is highlands. And nobody lives up in the islands. It's, it's too difficult. Uh, uh, so what you have in Iceland is a fairly uniform culture everywhere. Uh, there's very little distinction between people. They can say they come from Akureyri or, or they Langanes or, or whatever, but you won't hear it. You, 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 there are no regional accents. Yeah. Uh, it, it, people have the same interest. They, they, they watch the same television shows and they have the same phones. It, it's, uh, the only distinction Reykjavik has is its size. And because uh, so, uh, such a large portion of of the people living in Iceland live in the greater Reykjavik area. Uh, uh, it, it, it's sort of unique in that perspective. Yeah. But uh, there's very little of this kind of um, the people of Reykjavik making a point of this that they are better than anybody else. Yeah, so the, I wonder if there's the same sense, it doesn't sound like there is, that a Londoner would have about being from London. There isn't the same sense of identity about being from Reykjavik? Or no, or is no. And, and of course, as you know, and a lot of people know, uh, for such a relatively small country, mm. England is very diverse. Uh, in, in customs, in regional accents, and all of these things. You, you can tell where a person comes from, as was uh, talked about at length in My Fair Lady. Uh, but, but not so in Iceland. Not so in Iceland. No, no. It, it's very uniform around the country. Yeah. Does it have a draw from smaller places in the same way that we see in other countries? Because when you travel around Iceland, there is still a very strong sense 
of smaller places and their importance. I'm thinking perhaps of Arnisrepa, the, the mm -hmm. smallest municipality in the country away up in the north that is planning to merge with other municipalities, but it wants to do that precisely to maintain its own survival. Reykjavik is an attractive place to live, but it doesn't seem to pull people away and cause the demise of smaller places. No, it's all about job opportunities, basically. Uh, of course, Reykjavik has more of those. Uh, uh, when, if you live in a smaller uh, town in Iceland, the opportunities will be uh, a lot fewer. So, so uh, most of these towns uh, make their livelihood from fishing. Mm. So there is uh, the fishing itself, the fish processing, and all of the sort of uh, uh, other opportunities connected to those. So I'm talking about things like stores, uh, uh, medical institutions, and, and mm. things, things like that. But, but uh, it's a lot more diverse here in Reykjavik. Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about the development of the city, and maybe this is something that's reflected here at the settlement centre in the thousand-year-plus history of the city. A lot of changes in Iceland, a lot of changes in, in Reykjavik just in the last few decades. The, the Reykjavik of the 1970s was not the same as the Reykjavik of the 1990s, which is very much not the same as the, the Reykjavik of today. The capital, the city, has really changed in, in recent years, hasn't it? Yeah, it, there's been an influx of people. There are also a, a lot more uh, people of foreign nationalities who are, are migrating to Iceland. Uh, I think they number uh, at least, uh, for, uh, but this is for the entire country around around forty to fifty thousand. So, mm -hmm. so it, it's a substantial number for a a population which is just over three hundred and fifty thousand. So Reykjavik has changed in in that aspect as well. Uh, also, this the the changes in Reykjavik reflect changing uh, the changing economy. Uh, our economy, uh, like in the 1970s, as you, as you mentioned, and, and up until the 2000s, was based mostly on uh, the production and uh, the catching and production of, of fish products. Uh, but in very recently, this has changed to being uh, where tourism is all of a sudden uh, the largest industry in the country. Mm. So, so obviously, uh, things are going to change in relation to that. And those visitors, if they come here to the settlement centre, will get into one of the specific exhibitions that's taking place here. But what will they learn if they come here to the settlement centre? Well, we are trying, what we're trying to, because we are a part of the Reykjavik City Museum. Uh, and the Reykjavik City Museum is about the history of Reykjavik. So what we are trying to do here at the settlement exhibition is tell the story of Reykjavik from its very beginnings. Uh, on up until modern times. Uh, for these purposes, one of our, the main features of the exhibition is a, an excavated Viking Age ruin. It, it's, a, it's a hall, a Viking Age hall. It was found here in, in the year 2000, and an exhibition space was constructed around this ruin. So it hasn't been moved or relocated in any way. Mm -hmm. And uh, in that part of the exhibition, we are trying to uh, tell the story of these original people, where they came from, uh, how they got here, uh, how they survived. And for this purpose, we have ruins, we have a lot of artifacts that tell us about their daily lives. These are tools, clothing, food, all, all kinds of things. Can we go outside and take a look? Yes, we can. So we're walking now into the main hall of the settlement centre. 
and here is, at the very heart of it, the remains of that 10th century hall excavated in 2001. As you say, the the exhibition, the museum, was built around this discovery. Yes, uh, of course. Being a, this is a ruin, so so most of the house is is long gone. The the sounds you hear around is is a kind of the ambience that we created uh, to reflect Reykjavik around this this era. So you hear a lot of animal noises, you hear water lapping and 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 things like that. Mm. Um, the ruin itself is just the very lowest part of the building. Everything else is long gone but it gives a very strong impression of what this house was like, this sort of long oblong shape. We have the inside floor, mm. uh, we have all kinds of features in the inside floor that tell us where the posts that held up the roof, where they stood, uh, where the fireplace uh, in the center of the house was, and various other things. Yes, it looks like we're viewing the foundations, uh, fundamentally, of a building which gives us a sense of the scale. Lots of rocks, lots of stone, but a central area which would have formed the walls, I guess. Uh, yes, the central. The walls themselves are extraordinarily thick. Uh, they are about a meter thick, yeah. the outside walls. They are, they are so thick because they are made from a specific material, which was the best building material at the time, which is turf. And the turf is, it can easily be cut into pieces and it can be stacked into walls. However, turf is not a rigid material, it's, it's not like stone. So the walls have to be very thick for them to remain stable and, and upright. If, if, if the wall is too thin, it will just co collapse. Uh, uh, and, but turf is the main building material, not just of this hall, but of all buildings in Iceland from about the Viking Age. It started there, uh, but all through history. And, and uh, turf houses weren't really abandoned uh, as, a, as a major type of housing until the 1800s. It's amazing to think that this is the location of, the original location of that which we're looking at right now, and this exhibition was built around it. How was this discovered? Well, excavations have been going on in Reykjavik on and off since the 1940s and surprisingly in this general area and by that I'm, I'm talking about this street, this main street that I mentioned, uh, whenever somebody has done excavations here or did in the past they would usually find something. They would find, they might be bits of walls, they might be artifacts, uh, bones, all kinds of things. Not, not, uh, not human bones but animal bones. Things like uh, which archaeologists get get very very excited about rubbish. Rubbish is is, an, is a great find because rubbish will tell you about the daily life of the people. What kind of rubbish is of interest? Uh, bones, for instance, bones of animals. Uh, so you can gauge by the rubbish what animals they were hunting, what animals they were they were uh, keeping, uh, because this is a, a basically a rural settlements, so, so these are farmers. Uh, uh, there's, uh, rubbish also contains bits of uh, tools that are broken, uh, uh, ash from the fire, things like that. Recycling, however, was a great, uh, was, was uh, something that uh, Viking Age people did a lot of, especially for materials that were hard to get. Wood, for instance, was endlessly recycled, mm -hmm. metal as well and some forms of, of stones that were easy to carve. If a large piece would break, you would use the piece, smaller pieces to make something else. So, so there was a lot of recycling at the time. 
Let's walk. Let's walk around, yes. This is a, a huge hall that we are standing in front of and walking around, about 20 metres long, 8 metres across, 85 square metres of area. So it'll take a little while to <laughs> walk round into a slightly more brightly lit area of the exhibition. What's ahead of us here? Ahead of us is uh, we put a skylight. We put a skylight uh, mostly to illustrate the depth level that we're at so when we look up you will see that we are actually underneath the sidewalk at the moment and you can see the house above us uh, we also put the skylight here because this is where people would enter the hall so the front door was here and uh, the doors would have been also sources of natural light at least when they're open houses in the middle ages and i'm talking just generally uh, throughout Northern Europe, rarely had windows. Uh, our concept of a window with a pane of glass had, hadn't even been invented as such. So, so if you live in a warm country around the Mediterranean, you might just have a hole in, in, in the wall so you can let in light. When you get up north, uh, that is not an option. You, you do not put holes in your walls because it gets cold. So they just skipped them. And so this was a, a un... Uh, uh, there was no natural light in this building except when the doors were open and then a little bit down the chimney. So it's artificial light that they're using. This is lava, I can see the bubbles, I can see the holes. Iceland is not a, a, an old country, it's about uh, uh, 30 million years old. So basically all the rocks in Iceland are, are lava. Yeah. Uh, these particular stones that you're viewing here, which is sort of uh, like paving stones that were under uh, uh, when people entered the hall, these are, are they're all very soft and rounded, so, so they come down from the beach and they would have been hauled up here to make a kind of a, a, a pavement. What kind of response do you get from visitors who come here to learn about the formation of the, the capital? They must be struck by the scale of this as much as anything else. Well, yes, uh, and, and granted, this, this particular house, which, as you said, uh, was, is about 80 square meters on, on the inside, uh, this, is a, this is just a medium-sized house. Uh, mm. Some of them were larger. Uh, large houses, or these halls, were not just a reflection of, of uh, the wealth or the ego of the inhabitants. It, it's for very practical reasons, because these families were often, that lived in these houses were often large. Uh, these would be extended families. Uh, in a house like this, you might have a farmer and his wife, sure. two or three children, but additional relatives were very common. Uh, you might have the parents, uh, grandparents uh, of the occupants. You might have siblings. You might also have, have farm laborers or even slaves because uh, Viking Iceland is a... Uh, uh, slavery was an, an accepted form at that time. Uh, but slaves were never housed in separate buildings it, it was everybody under the same roof because it's more economical you just build the house to fit the people the exhibition also talks about the lack of religious artifacts to have been found in viking age layers in Reykjavik but obviously it's an important part of the conversation Iceland became or was was made a Christian country replacing the pagan beliefs, but of course they're back on the rise again with Ausatru, aren't they? The uh, mm -hmm. beliefs of pre-Christian times. What do we know of religion in the capital in Reykjavik in olden days? Well, 
We know that they, these are these are pagans that are building these houses. Uh, this is uh, this Norse religion uh, that or, or Norse paganism, as it's referred to. It's true that that uh, religious art items are very rare. The reason is not to do with the lack of religious practices. It's probably more to do with material being used. Uh, so uh, religion uh, s seems to have been by and large a, uh, a, a, a kind of a mental state rather than mm. having a lot of uh, uh, religious artifacts or things like that. And when they did, they, they would have been made from what we deem today as, as being perishable materials. So they had gods and they had goddesses and they would often and, and sometimes make images of these, these uh, deities, but usually in wood. Mm. And the problem with wood is in Iceland it just does not last. Uh, wooden, wooden pieces from the Middle Ages are quite rare here. Uh, so, so that is one of the things. Smaller religious items have been found all around Iceland, but but they they take the form of of maybe small pendants or something like that. Mm. Nothing large. We we do know that they had temples, uh, where they they and there, there may even have been a temple here in Reykjavik, but uh, uh, it's elusive. Uh, we haven't found it yet. But then again, we haven't excavated everything yes. yet. Well, it's a very obvious example, of course, of a religious building in the capital, Hatglimskarkia, the giant concrete cathedral right in the centre of the city. That's become quite iconic, really. That's probably the, maybe that or Harpa, would you say, is the icon of the city? Yeah, yes. But if you look at something like a, a, a pagan temple mm. uh, to the north of Iceland and, and, and some of these, it's very sometimes hard to differentiate between just a regular house and a, and a temple because often they, they look very similar. Uh, but there is one, it's called Hofstader. It means, uh, uh, Hof means just temple, so, so it, it's a place for a temple. Mm. And there they found a large hall, which was uh, from, from all of the uh, uh, things that were found inside a, a, a uh, house dedicated to religious services. Uh, one of the, the, the things that was uh, very telling there is uh, because Norse paganism was a, a, a sacrificial religion so they would sacrifice animals on, on a regular basis and a great number of sacrificial animals were, were discovered in, in that particular place. What is the future then do you think for Reykjavik, for the capital city? It's growing at such a rate construction seems to be back to pre-Covid levels or even above it has the space to develop, I suppose, doesn't it, on most sides? Oh yes, yes. everything but into the sea. So, so we have three sides in, in, in which Reykjavik can expand. Uh, probably never going to be a mega city, but but uh, it it uh, it can accommodate uh, quite a deal. Uh, people of Iceland do like space uh, around them, pers personal space around them. Uh, yes, you, you do find high-rises here, mm. but, but uh, you find a lot more of these, these individual houses. Uh, individuality is, is a very strong trait of Icelanders. Uh, the church that you mentioned, the Hallgrimskirke, uh, it has a, a bell tower, uh, which you can actually ascend via elevator, and, and it's a very popular attraction, and people take 
uh, photographs of the houses in Reykjavik. And one of the things that they notice when, they, when they're photographing the houses in Reykjavik is the roofs are quite often a different color. Uh, along one street you might have five or six or seven different colors of mm. roofs. Uh, it seems that everybody is trying to have a different color from their neighbors. And this is one of the uh, sort of telling signs of this sort of individuality. Mm. You, you, you don't want to be like, like the people next door. You want to be different. And, and uh, this is one of the, the, the traits of, of Icelanders. I'd heard once, sounds like it's nonsense then, but I'd heard once that the reason that there were so many different colors of roof in Reykjavik is that it was simply a question of whatever paint was available. That, that could be, but, <laughs> but, but uh, there was for a long, long time a, um, a sort of a trend when you went outside of Reykjavik uh, and, 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 and into the countryside all farmhouses had red roofs and it, it, it was just a trend. We can actually trace this back where, where this trend started. Uh, uh, when they were first importing the material used in roofing of these houses, which is uh, corrugated iron, uh, the, this material was um, of, of different thickness. Uh, roofing material was was a specific thickness, and uh, the the uh, foreign producers had color coded the the, uh, the the pieces of corrugated iron, and this color coding was meant to represent the thickness. Uh, the color coding here was red, mm. so they had red dots. The Icelanders misunderstood, and they thought that this meant that you could not paint it in, in another color than red. So, so uh, all roofs became red for, for quite a while. So that explains that. There is much here to enjoy and explore, not just the Viking element of this exhibition. It is, as you heard, right at the very heart, indeed the origin point of the capital city, the settlement exhibition here in Reykjavik. Jan Pald, thank you very much for your time. There is a lot more to see, and if you are in town for whatever reason, I highly recommend that you do so. It's Ruv English, and I'm Darren Adam. You can contact us anytime by email, english at ruv.is. You're listening to the Ruv English podcast. To hear more and for all the news from Iceland in English, just head to ruv.is English.